Greetings, I'm Keith Klein, the host of the VentureFizz podcast, where I interview the most fascinating people in the tech scene. For the 58th episode of our podcast, I interviewed Ryan Smith, co-founder and CEO of LeafLink. Ryan is a serial entrepreneur and has been recognized by Forbes as a member of their 30 under 30 list for enterprise tech. Prior to co-founding LeafLink, he successfully founded and exited two companies. LeafLink is a venture-backed company in New York City that is setting the industry standard for how cannabis brands and retailers work together. With a robust online marketplace, CRM, and order management tools, they've created a centralized sales engine to help cannabis sellers manage and grow their business. The company was listed as one of the most innovative companies in 2018 by Fast Company. In this episode of our podcast, we cover lots of great topics, like Ryan's background and the details on his first two companies, how he met Zach Silverman, his co-founder at LeafLink, and what led them to start the company, the details on LeafLink and how they are building a rapidly growing business in the cannabis industry, advice for founders on getting PR as a startup, what he wishes people told him before starting his own company, plus a lot more. Okay, quick side note. I hope you've been enjoying these podcast interviews with the top entrepreneurs and investors in New York Tech, and I have some really, really exciting news to share. At the start of 2019, we will be publishing a new episode every single Thursday. So I have a quick question to ask you. Who would you like to have interviewed for our podcast? If you have any recommendations, please send an email to info at All right, without further ado, here's my interview with Ryan. Ryan, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Keith, for having us. So entrepreneurship goes way back for you. So I figured it would be fun to talk about some of the early days of entrepreneurship in your history. Sure. So grew up in Manhattan um, to two parents that both actually worked together and started their own company. My um, mom is the CEO of the Minority Women's Business, actually. That's a real estate company in New York. So she's the CEO. My dad's the president. Um, and we were always involved in conversations at dinner on what things they were working through on their, in their businesses, they were building it, which has just had its 30th anniversary. Um, and then in my free time, I was also selling everything and anything in the house that I thought they wouldn't notice if it was gone. Um, so my dad always joked like those things always, where's this thing? Oh, it's probably Ryan's PayPal account. So I really loved marketplace technology and I was, you know, walking dogs, selling candy, whatever it was to, to do a deal. It was all about it. And they were super supportive all along the way. So I, I have this own like just belief. So my, I have two girls that are now 14 and 12, but I talk to entrepreneurs all day long and investors and I, you know, I have my own company. So I just think they're, they're rooted in this uh, entrepreneurship ecosystem where around the dinner table, you hear how the business is being built or other companies that are being built. So that definitely played into your upbringing. Definitely. I mean, I, I bet you can even maybe see some qualities in one versus the other that are starting to get stronger. And it's, I've come to think that now people are born with like a tendency to be entrepreneurial, but then a lot of it is just, is it encouraged? Are people forced to be a doctor or a lawyer because that's what their parents did? Whereas if you parents were entrepreneurs, you don't need to be in the same industry, but it's kind of the same business, right? Growing companies have similar challenges regardless of what they do. Now you went, went to Colgate. Why did you decide to go there? So growing up in, in the city, I figured uh, I'd be back uh, long-term and, thought, you know, what is something that is fundamentally different, uh, college in the middle of nowhere and liberal arts. So that's how I, uh, I went to Colgate and had a good experience there, especially in that entrepreneurial realm linked up with a lot of 
amazing mentors, my first investors, my last company, and LeafLink even too. Uh, strong relationships from that experience. So really grateful for it. And then, you know, the whole trend of our conversation here is entrepreneurship, where you actually started your own company while at, at Colgate, right? Yeah, so I, I started uh, the least sexiest kind of business freshman year, which was a paper supply company. Uh, saw that the school had a um, initiative by 2020 to be carbon neutral. So I began doing research and figuring out, oh, well, we must use a lot of, I guess, like freshman year of college, like a paper. So let's sell tree-free paper to the school. Started a company called EcoCampus that we sold as seniors to other students that sold it a couple of times after that. It was really a way for young students to get some entrepreneurial experience. My senior year dorm room in the fraternity house was actually like all reams of paper up to the ceiling. Uh, so definitely not like code appropriate or whatever for the, for the building, but uh, that was a good experience. And then started uh, my, another company senior year after we sold that, which was a, a technology company. And then that uh, was the last thing we did before building LeafLink. Well, let's talk about that. Cause obviously, you know, a, you know, people that become entrepreneurs, uh, don't have so many opportunities that they've started at you know relative, relatively young age. So, how did you come up with the next idea? Because that was in investor relationship management software. So, where did that idea come from? Kind of heart definitely like goes back to my experience with my parents. So they they're in real estate, um, and I was familiar with growing up in New York. You know, it's everywhere. Not a lot of people think about it, but there's like 15 families that own the majority of the real estate in New York. Um, but they're very antiquated. A lot of people are just born into these backgrounds and things operate in a very, you know, 20, 30 year timeline type business operation. So we thought, again, I always love technology, began thinking like, what can we create from the technological side to help these companies move faster, be more transparent, especially on like investor reporting. Um, and so when I learned more about how general partners manage limited partners, I found that that was all through like quarterly reports at best, at worst, you, you only really hear from them when they need more money or something's going really bad or really good. Um, and that's what I built Trooperly to be, which was that investor relationship management software for real estate firms. Um, how, how did you actually build it? Like, how did like you graduate with a liberal arts degree? So, how did you actually build software? So, I'm not technical, and right. that was probably the most important thing I learned was I never want could start. I never wanted to start another technology company without having someone with that complementary skill set. Mm -hmm. So Zach Silverman, who I started, one of my goals actually um, in like 2015 or 16 was to on my next company work with an like an awesomely complementary and aligned co-founder from the technological side. So I was really fortunate to link up with Zach, but um, it was total drama. I mean, all the time it was all <laughs> it was all consultants. Um, mm -hmm. It was me who didn't. I mean, I understood tech, but I didn't really know that much about building technology. I'm very type A, so I'm hard on deadlines. And with engineers, you know, that's sometimes a challenging thing, especially if they don't work for you full time or are fully bought into the vision. Um, so it was a lot of hard lessons. It ended up being a really successful experience, but because uh, we later sold that company to a public firm. But um, it was I definitely learned a lot on, on that side. And how did, how did you get that to that point of having an exit? It wasn't, uh, it wasn't on purpose. We, we had, we had six people full time on the team, plus a bunch of consultants. We raised like 350 K something small right out of school. Um, and we were pitching companies. So I was doing sales. I was doing client success. I was whatever it had to take to get, And we had a, you know, a handful of clients 
And so we pitched this company that had a quarter of a million investors at the time. Um, and the, some of the founders um, had just become very successful with some of their IPO public offerings that they did. And so the conversation went from, can you handle a quarter of a million investors? To which I said, of course, yes. Um, and, uh, and then the way the conversation ended was, well, why don't we buy you guys and you can build this here and, and we'll grow it. And we, you know, and then that conversation led to, they made an offer, which made a lot of sense. And, and so we, we did the deal. It wasn't, was something, wasn't something we were looking for. Very cool. Your current company, LeafLink. Um, you know, so you talked about Zach, your co-founder, CTO. How, how did the two of you meet? So through those Colgate connections, actually, Zach built um, and worked with a few of my mentors. We have some similar overlap investors. Zach is um, accomplished on, independently. He started, um, he was at LimeWire back in the day, started an ad tech company with a few people from AppNexus, which was sold. So we were introduced two or three years before we started the company. And he was just one of those really interesting people. I like to think he thinks the same about me that you want to get coffee with them every three or six months, just kind of like see what's up, Keith, and you know, what are you working on next? And we just started doing research together on this space, both love marketplaces. He actually was at uh, eBay on their B2B enterprise marketplace team. So had a lot of that technological experience. It was almost like perfect. Uh, and then we just started looking into the space together, found that there was this incredible need for a lot of things, but particularly this one that interested us and that is what gave, you know, gave way to LeafLink. And well, and how did you actually come up, come to that aha moment of, wait, there's an opportunity here. I'm sure you were brainstorming a whole bunch of ideas outside of cannabis, but how did you kind of settle into this industry being like, wait, there's a huge opportunity to build a, a technology company? So on the marketplace side, right, B2C marketplaces are things that we use almost every day now. Um, and so there was that inherent interest that just Zach and I had before we even started thinking about what we could build together. But then we began also looking at the supply chain for more established mature industries and why don't they have marketplaces? Why aren't there B2B marketplaces at scale, which in no way near does it compare to how commonly used B2C marketplaces are. But if you think about the people using them, it's the same demographics. It's the same. Those people have jobs. They have to buy things at those jobs. Why are they buying those things at those jobs? On marketplaces like they buy their groceries or, or whatever else they're getting on, on another marketplace platform so um, our interest in this space was this is something that we say a lot now but we're not really disrupting anything the oldest companies are four or five years old so if we can jump in early and define how the supply chain works virtually through a b2b marketplace we think it could be an exceptional example for other industries on something to emulate as they grow um, and it's much much easier, frankly, to set it up in a space that's new with inherently progressive thinking people, right? Um, versus one that, well, my grandparents didn't do it this way and mm -hmm. I'm not missing any meals. So why do I want, what I need this ajita to go through, like what, you know, change how we do business every day. And so that's, and then we started doing research and, and Zach is very interested too in like cannabis culture. I myself, am not a big smoker, but just love the, that everyone in the industry is an entrepreneur themselves. And helping each other grow our companies is a, a cool thing. And, and then how did you actually dig deep into the industry, right? Because I imagine it is a unique industry. It's just emerging. It's highly entrepreneurial. You know, there's a lot of legal ramifications across this industry. So how did you dig deep to know that, okay, we, you know, this is what this industry needs from us? I, I just 
cold reached out to people. Um, <laughs> I, every email I could get, every phone number, anyone who I was speaking to that I thought may pot potentially know someone in the industry, even remotely connected, I asked them for intros. Um, and then we made a couple trips out to Denver, which at the time was, I mean, pretty much it. Like there were no other markets that were anywhere near as regulatory mature. Um, and so we just said to everyone, we're going to be there on this day, hadn't yet booked the flights. And as soon as someone said, all right, I'm around, like I'll meet you guys. I don't know, I don't know why they did, but they did and booked those flights and went there. And we went with like 10 questions of things we wanted to better understand. And it seemed like transactions and ordering, just general transparency, because there's new companies all the time, new product lines, new pricing, wasn't there. Uh, and that fed perfectly into what we were already interested in, which was this B2B marketplace concept. So what did you find? Was it a lot of these companies or these um, dispensaries or brands that just were doing things, you know, just kind of ad hoc, like, I don't know, like, <laughs> like I mean, spreadsheets or I don't, like, totally spreadsheets, text messages, like fax machines still exist apparently. Machines, yeah. Okay. Emails. And a lot of that it was left is kind of carried over from, it's a really hot industry and it's changed so much in the last two and a half, three years since we started the company. But a lot of people that were in the industry, three and a half years ago when we started doing our research were people that had been in the industry before it was legal. And so they were used to communicating over text messages and, and whatever other thing to, to handle their orders. And it just carried over and other companies that create these kinds of tools weren't openly serving the space. So they weren't going to invest their time in onboarding to a platform that maybe threw them off. They really need something custom for their experience. And since you started the company, uh, you've raised capital. So, uh, you know, 14 million all in 10 million last November. Um, what was the fundraising process for LeafLink? I mean, it's, it's again, an emerging industry. There is a lot of, um, you know, recognition and publicity about this growing industry, but I would think that there'd be some VCs that might be a little bit, um, you know, hesitant at first, yeah. not really knowing what they're getting into. I'd say every, Every round has changed our and how we focus on it. So in our first million that we did, it was people that had worked with Zach and me earlier, um, and they were basically going to they were in on whatever we were looking to do next. It wasn't as much of a issue with the space on the seed round because then then you're talking about a, a little bit bigger numbers. People then had some institutional capital at play. So at that point, eighty five percent of people were not even interested in the space. And I had several people say, you know, you're gonna basically you're going to give yourself a black eye by going into this industry. But I, but I'm kind of like, what I, I clearly, I know where this, this space is going. I know how my demographic thinks about it and it doesn't, you know, it's not something that will be forever this way. Mm -hmm. uh, and then in our series a uh, that came together much faster. We had a lot of momentum by that point. Um, but there's still, you know, probably 60, 65% of companies will only take meetings to learn more to get a brain dump. And so something that I'll say, and a lot of these calls I have now is I'll say right up front, you know, Keith, happy to share, you know, what we're building, what's exciting about the industry. Do need to understand, do you have any limitations with your LPs on some vice spaces? Because I, I'm happy to be a resource because people should know what great stuff is happening here. But I also need to know like, all right, am I ruling you out now? Because this is just not, you can't, even if you got excited, we've had, we've had term sheets put together for us that were pulled by majority investors last minute, even though the MDs call us and apologize. I'm, I'm looking at the term sheet. Uh, so there's a little bit of navigation that way, but part of our MO is to educate investors on top of that when we need capital raising money from them. It's just been part of the process. Definitely challenging. 
and more challenging for actually cannabis touching companies were just a technology company. Right, exactly. Which uh, so it sounds like you you've got some uh, some scars from going through this process and understanding what some of the VCs can do and can't do, and asking those questions up front to save everyone time. Totally, and I think they appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, now, how do how does your company actually make money? Like, what's the revenue model behind it? So there's two pillars to the platform. There's the marketplace where there we have now over 700 brands, more than 2,400 retailers transacting. Um, and then there's an order management system that they use to basically handle the life cycle of the orders from the sales team to the production team to the distribution and accounting teams. Um, we launched the platform by just charging for that second piece. So the operational, pretty basic SaaS um, based on the number of brands they have listed. Uh, in, since closing the A, we've begun working on selling ad opportunities. We're working through some interesting supply chain finance options for companies. There's a lot of challenges there in the space and a few other things around integration. So SaaS to start, awesome, growing you know, as, as it normally does. And, then, and now we're starting to layer in some of these more powerful tools for the community. And there's like brands that are starting to emerge like to be the future 800 pound gorilla of this space like uh, medicine man right like, like an organization like that is like massive yep. and just growing like crazy right yeah there are going to be cokes and pepsis in the space and interestingly enough there's an article about coke a couple weeks ago looking at making investments I saw that. it may actually yeah. just be coke and pepsi in this space but mm -hmm. yeah we're, a lot of the companies we're working with now we call them um MSOs like multi-state operators uh, because the way you launch these products is you can't ship them across state lines so a brand I mean you said men men for example they just launched a new um, line of products to sell but the way they can scale that product is they have to find LPs in a new state that have residency requirements that are met that then sell in that state um, and so multi-state operators for us is kind of the first flag that goes up on something interesting is happening here to be like an industry leading brand um, but still, there's probably only 15 or 20 that come to mind as like some of the biggest, biggest ones. It's still pretty, it's no pun intended, green market. <laughs> well, but so with your industry, so you must deal with a lot, like all types. You got kind of a, that organization that seems very uh, organized and kind of have their plan in place. But you must deal with also like the mom and pops that just have their own dispensary and they're just growing their own business and happy doing it. Yeah, and that was one of the most interesting things that we learned towards the end of last year was when we went from you know any client, Keith's Edibles, like love to have you on the platform, not going to ask a lot of questions because just happy you're our customer, um, but creating some qualifying factors on what types of companies are best for the community is something that we did uh, earlier this year. And so now there are certain like throughput and numbers that companies actually need to be doing before they could be valuable to the, to the community. Otherwise, people will join if it's just you and, let's say, your, your wife have a company. Um, we can't make magic happen. You're not, we're not going to send you $10 million in orders just like that. You need a sales team. You need an operational back end. Uh, so we've gotten better at distilling down, like, who's a fit for the marketplace. And like any marketplace, there's always the chicken or the egg, right? So what did you find, like, more difficult? Was it getting the brands? Was it getting the retailers or dispensaries? Like... Uh, getting the, I guess getting the brands in the beginning was, was harder because that was when we didn't have the retail side. Um, and so we needed to bring brands onto the platform that got the vision 
and be willing to work alongside us to engage retailers to come on. But once the retailers began ordering for the first couple of brands, then you get more brands on mentioning that there are retailers ordering, and then it kind of has this back and forth uh, thing that that begins to happen. And I guess so we were, so that was the, that was the, the the challenging part. And then what's been cool lately is now companies are launching in new states. So in we're alive in 12 states. In the majority of states where we've launched, it's been with companies that are already successful on LeafLink. So they grow into a new state that we're already in. Awesome for them. They can see eyeballs that have buyers. We launch with them in a new state where they already have buyers. Great for us. And it's like this incredible partnership that we have with a, a number of companies now. That's great. Well, anytime you kind of build the marketplace of scale, you know, things magically happen where brands want to be part of LeafLink and they're almost selling you to get, you know, distribution of their product, hopefully to-, to Oh yeah, people, people that kicked us out of our, uh, I mean, not physically kicked us out of their office, but basically told us as much in their words yeah. are like some of our most active users now because they, they see it, you know. That's awesome. What's yeah. the size of the team now? So we're about to break 50 people. Uh, we actually have four people starting on Monday, which is exciting. Um, our largest office is in New York. So our engineers, our marketing team, um, and a few people in the C-suite sit here. Um, and then we have LA as our, as our second largest presence. Uh, so really something that has changed. We were had a big presence in Colorado, uh, which we still have a, a number of team members there. But um, just the way the markets are growing, the, the coast seems to be good, like HQ launch points. So yeah, about to break 50, which is exciting um, and aggressively hiring, kind of like what we spend half our days on, at least me and, and Zach. And what are you anticipating for, for the future of LeafLink? On the team build side or just for the what The company as a whole. So there's a, a unique opportunity uh, in this space where they are not afforded a lot of the basic tools that people have in other industries. So if you're growing a company, if VentureFizz is doing an awesome job on ad placements or whatever it might be, you can go to a bank or even a venture capital company or wherever it is, raise capital from them. Uh, much easier to move money and charge companies. Um, delivering your product, you can use more mainstream outlets. All those things don't really exist for our space. So the vision that we're creating is, you know, we have a transactional volume to the platform now that's almost 11% of all legal wholesale in the States, um, which is super cool. Yeah, over $600 million wow. Dollars a year annualized now moves through LeafLink, and That's amazing. What, it's great. And uh, a lot more to grow, go though. But what else can we tie into that platform that helps them keep building their company? So how are they collecting payment? What can we do for them there? How are they building their brands? What can we do for them there on the ad side? How are they moving their products? What would it look like to your question to have truly a single platform that the industry operates on because it was built with them along the way in the first three to five years of that space? I think that's something that we get to create here because every other company and every other industry is using five to 15 platforms just to get through the day. I think we could build something here that's really one platform for this industry and create a new standard for what a virtual supply chain looks like. That's, and everything that ties into that is what gets us most excited. What do you have for competition out there? Is it just companies using, uh, you know, like you said, a mix mosh of different tools to just try to piece it all together? Yeah, there, there are a few order management platforms, which is like that second pillar I was talking about that exists, but they don't have like an industry-centric marketplace. Mm -hmm. um, we're definitely seeing some localized competitors pop up because, as I mentioned, there's different marketplaces in each state. Uh, you can't go across state lines. So you'll have teams of like two or three people, raise a little bit of money, uh, pop up like a Craigslist or something inferior with postings and listings for flour, for example. 
Uh, it's not an enterprise solution, but it's something for us to stay focused on. So our race now is to get our flag down in as many markets as we can, empowering as many clients as we can. Um, and so although there's no one moving the, the metrics that we're moving or the transactional volume that we're moving or the number of community members that we have, there are things that we have to keep our eye on to make sure we like further cement the position. Now I've noticed that LeafLink has received some great uh, PR. I mean, you got recognition from Forbes, Fast Company. So these are you know big media brands that are recognizing your company as a leader or you know one of the top innovators in a category. So, so what advice would you give to, to founders getting started and how to you know obtain that type of PR or brand recognition? So there's some that we definitely that we put work into to get, um, and then there are others like Fast Company. They emailed us that we were placed on this list with Amazon and Slack, and we thought it was spam. I, I sent it, <laughs> but guys, it's coming from the Fast Company domain. How could this be? Um, and for us, our team got super excited about that because it's also a statement for the industry. I think that's a bit at play here, right? We're yeah. a team of almost 50 people. Slack is, I'm sure, a couple thousand people, and we're on the same list. Uh, but there, there's a larger statement happening that this is normalizing. This is becoming an industry like any other that deserves the same tools. Um, in terms of advice on like what other entrepreneurs can do, I think it's super important. And I spend the other half of my day on the phone, just the same way I reach out to people cold, shamelessly. I just want to understand key, like how your business runs and how it could be better. Um, I do the same thing now with investors and clients and, and people outside the industry tell them about the space, including, you know, publications, whatever it might be. And there's no like secret sauce other than just putting in the, the time. But that's something that I fortunately like naturally enjoy it. But that I think is the way you, the way you do it. You've started multiple companies. Um, you know, if you were sitting down with a, a, an entrepreneur or someone who's looking to start their own company for the first time, what are the things that you wish someone had told you you know, before starting your own company? Don't think so much, uh, I think is a good one. And, and in line with that is like execution. Um, sometimes when we catch up with uh, some other founders, people just go into this hole of thought on like, what if this and this and this and this. And the reality is you, you're, you could think as much as you want. You by yourself are not going to figure it out. The only way you're going to figure it out is by doing some things, really talking to other people talking to so many people that you're, you know, you, people start to say the same thing to you because you've spoken to so many people that know so much about this one part of an industry. Um, and I think that kind of exposure is a really only way to learn things. Like the way we started LeafLink was we were interested in something, but we in that 10 list question asked people what their problems were and they basically told us what they needed. And then we build that thing, which is so much better than to work off a series of assumptions with assumptions with equations and more assumptions on like what I think you need. I think that's probably the main one, but that requires being you know, somewhat confident with not much in your pocket because you're just getting started. Yeah, that's good feedback. Now you've had, you, you know, definitely have um, started multiple companies. So you've had a fair amount of success, but what do, what do you consider your, like the thing that you need to work on the most, like area, area for improvement for, for Ryan Smith? I think I can be um, overly intense sometimes. And a lot of it can be sometimes interpreted as like being removed or being, you know, too tactical. But I, I very much feel to the question you asked earlier, like who's our greatest competition? I do think it's like us really yesterday, ourselves yesterday. 
And so if we're not marginally improving every day and not being hard on ourselves, like I'm very hard on myself. I think that's very motivating to me, but I understand that that, or I'm beginning to understand that that's not the way a lot of other people are motivated. I, you know, get revved up on that. Um, and so being more, I guess, empathetic to how different people are motivated and learning as a team member with really incredible specialized other skill sets, how to connect and, and, and share the same excitement and motivation I have in a way that's more communicable to someone else is something that I definitely could, you know, continue to work on. And who do you count on for advice along those measures, like for you know, mentorship or leadership advice? Like who, who do, who's your go-to? Um, we, so we have our board obviously, but we also have a board of advisors that we speak to really, uh, regularly. And one of them is, um, Andy Greenfield, who started a company, one of the first like survey companies online that he exited to Microsoft back in 99. And I actually met him through the entrepreneurial program at Colgate, uh, where he's an alum as well. And so we talk all the time. He was on our board before we, you know, raised any money. Um, and he's just really helpful because he's, you know, scaled up to a six, 700 person company pretty much organically. Um, so he's like a good sounding board. And then there's a few other people now that we, that we check in with on like more specific things. If it's a tech side thing or a payment bit or a capital raise thing. And, and I guess, but Andy's like my generalized go-to. Well, the current landscape in New York, what's the angel scene like? Like, is there like a, a large population of angels? If you need to get financing, you know, for your company, 50,000, 100,000, half a million, is that something that's easily accessible? Like, are there visible angels that people have access to? I think there's way more than, than normally thought, right? There's venture or angel-like groups that speak to these types of deals all the time. But like one of the great parts about being on, you know, in New York, let's say is there's a lot of super high net worth, ultra high net worth individuals that can, can cut checks for a hundred grand, $200,000. And a lot of that is based off of sharing the excitement that you feel on this opportunity that, that can be seen. So for me, raising like a one or $2 million round across, even if you have to stitch together 10 people, you know, seven to 12 people, is very, very doable. And I don't think the way to do it is to always go to these established angel groups. There is money that is just like that and, and likely just as valuable, maybe not, maybe even more so um, that you can find elsewhere and getting those people together around what you're building is, I think it's a, it's a great place to do it. Questions are different on East Coast versus West Coast for sure. Um, but the money is definitely here and there's a lot more of it than I think people, especially now with, with the market the way it is, everyone's dying for alternative investments outside of the markets. And so it's a good time to raise money for sure. Your, your, your day is very busy. You got a lot of moving pieces and parts to it. So what's your number one hack for saving time or just trying to keep, you know, sane? I'm very sad about this, but I recently read that inbox by Google. So not Google inbox. There's this uh, beta product that they had, which allowed you to snooze emails and set reminders. It's basically like your emails and a to-do list all in one interface. Yeah. Um, they're phasing it out in March and they built everything that was in inbox by Google is now going to be in Google inbox. Mm-hmm. They clearly could have used some help with the naming, but uh, <laughs> super bummed that it's going away. Uh, but that has like been my secret sauce. Like half our team uses it here like loyally. I mean, everyone, half the screens are probably on it right now. Um, because it has all your external internal communication, all the things that you need to do. And then 
setting up like a pipeline of, of things to execute on. It can be done through that. So inbox by Google, definitely. I completely agree. So the new interface for Gmail, like to have my calendar and my to-do list just right there staring in my, in my face all day long. Cause I, I forget who said this, but someone in the past had said to me, um, anytime you get a new to-do app, you always have the best intentions and it'd be like, step one, add all your to-do list. Step two, never open to-do list app again, right? So that was totally like, and you know, bouncing between calendars. So to have it all in one interface is like lifesaver. All those new features that you're saying you like came from, they launched this beta thing and now they're getting rid of it because they're all in, in Gmail. But even on the networking side, I mean, all the time we're meeting new people and I'll say, let's catch up in three months. I'm going to snooze that email for three months and I'm going to reach out to them in three months. Normally people say things like that. And then I feel like that's how part of how you build really good relationships. I mean, it's one of the things we do definitely key to success for us or like a nice little hack. Perfect. Well, as you mentioned, um, LeafLink is hiring. So are you hiring across the board? Like what's, what's the current openings that you guys are focused on? Across the board, uh, on both uh, coasts, we are looking for people on all teams. So we're hiring new account executives in LA. We're opening up in new markets. Markets, depending on population size, might have an account executive and a client success uh, experience person there. Uh, we're looking for senior uh, front-end and back-end engineers, business intelligence analysts, um, and a few other roles, which are all on our website at leaflink.com. So definitely check those out. Uh, interviewing all the time. We have to connect on anyone that's like related skill sets. Well, Ryan, thanks so much for taking the time for sharing all your words of wisdom here. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Keith. Well, that's our show. I hope you found it useful and entertaining. If you did, please make sure you subscribe so you'll get future episodes. Also, please consider leaving us a five-star review and share this podcast with all of your friends and colleagues in the industry. It all really helps us out. Last but not least, don't forget to visit VentureFizz.com, the most trusted source for tech and startup jobs, news, and insights. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.